0: It's the 16th century in Europe and the Christian church has wandered from several key foundational truths in Scripture. They've embraced several extra-biblical concepts. Some of the ones that they have embraced include elevating church tradition and the church's interpretation of Scripture to the point of being equal in authority with Scripture itself. Additionally, the church had embraced the belief that the church tradition was necessary to supplement scripture and to guard the truth of God. And then thirdly, there was an uneasiness among church leaders that the common man should have the scripture in his own hands and his own language in order to be able to able to interpret scripture for himself. Reformers sought to reform the church, to reclaim those key foundational truths, Luther, Calvin, Zwingli, and others. And that reformation emphasized five biblical truths. By scripture alone, by faith alone, by grace alone, by Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. Sunday nights this summer, we have the opportunity to look at those five solas. And I'm blessed tonight to be able to begin that series by looking at the first of those, which I believe is foundational to all the rest, sola scriptura. Take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. There are lots of places we could begin tonight, lots of passages we could look at, But we've chosen to look at 2 Timothy chapter three, a very familiar passage of scripture, to look at it again tonight in light of what the scripture says about itself. I can remember as returning, uh, I can remember as a child that I uh, I grew up in church, much like Miss Rose, I was in church uh, before I was born. uh, and We had a a good church, Um, uh, but uh, I can remember growing up uh, as a teenager, uh, and hearing people preach and hearing lots of sermons and guest preachers coming in. Uh, and I can distinctly remember that it, were, it was those sermons that were, that were biblical. Uh, not, just a, not just a talk about scriptural principles or a, or, or, or a lecture about how you should or shouldn't do this, but, but those sermons that took a passage of scripture and explained it. Those were the ones that drew me in. Those were the ones that grabbed my heart. I can remember uh, later on in high school and in my early college years, uh, listening to one particular preacher on the radio from our our hometown. And he would preach verse by verse through books of the Bible. And I, I had a job, a summer job, uh, kind of doing grunt work for the for the city I lived in there, and and uh, I was allowed to wear my headphones, and I'd listen to Jay Vernon McGee just teach verse by verse through the Bible. And in those moments, I, I was a stirring in my heart that this is right, that 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 God's word uh, is 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 true and is real, and that that the primary task of of anyone who stands. Is to is to is to expound on what God has already said. With that with that kind of anecdotal experience, uh, I come to you tonight, excited to share with you what the Bible says about sola scriptura. Look with me in in Second Timothy chapter three, beginning in verse fourteen. Paul, writing to his son in the ministry Timothy, says, "You, however," Continue in the things that you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them. And that from childhood you have known the sacred scriptures, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate. Equipped for every good work. In this passage, Paul's primary goal is not to set forward the the principle of sola scriptura. His goal here is to equip his son Timothy in the ministry to be able to stand against false teachings. And one of the ways that he does that is he says, look, this is what what scripture is. Notice it begins in verse 14. You, however continuing the things you've learned. That is, but as for you, you do things this way, right? In contrast to what comes before. In verse, uh, uh, in verse 18, he talks about Janese and Jambres who opposed Moses. Uh, in, uh, in, verses, in verse eight, he talks about um, the, their folly and, and, and then all the things that the, the, the personal experience that Paul had gone through should be an encouragement to him to follow in his teachings, and so he says, in light of those things, there are some key truths about the Bible itself that you need to hold on to. That I want to remind you of as you are facing opposition. In this, in this uh, conversation that Paul is having with Timothy, there are three specific things I want us to see this morning. Excuse me, this evening. About, about sola scriptura, scripture Only. Now, so the scripture is the is the is the teaching, it's the, 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 the truth that the Bible, the Bible itself, is our sole, inherent, infallible authority when it comes to matters of faith and practice. It doesn't mean that, that, that there aren't any other good things out there or, or that we don't need teachers or, or but but that the Bible itself is where God has revealed himself to us in an infallible, authoritative way. So the first point I want us to see this evening is this, that it's authoritative. Scripture alone is the ultimate and infallible authority on all matters of faith and practice. Scripture alone is the ultimate and infallible authority on all matters of faith and practice. Notice what he says, looking at verse 14 again. He says, you, however, continue in the things you've learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you've learned them, that from a childhood you've known, notice he calls it the sacred writings. Very rare phrase, but it talks about this whole body of writings that he says are sacred. Then he says, which you're able to give you wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And then verse 16, all scripture is inspired by God. That word scripture there, it's, it's uh, the, the, word that we, the word we give, our word graph comes from that word scripture. So think of, think of things like an autograph, right? Or a biography, right? Graph just means writings. And so the scripture here are those things that are written down. God in his grace has understood that, that, that we need a book. We need something that, that we can go to to see God, to know who God is. And God in his grace has chosen to reveal himself to us in that way. God's revealed himself to us through creation. We can look at creation and we can learn certain things about who God is. And, and we pray, we pray uh, next week that, our, uh, that, that hundreds of kids as they consider the idea of the stars and the galaxies and the universe, come to understand certain things that God has revealed himself about himself in creation. We also know that God has revealed himself to us in the idea of our conscience, right? That we understand there's a, there's a, there's a right and there's a wrong. And then God has revealed himself to us in the person, the life, and the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. But scripture teaches that God God's, uh, has codified his revelation of who he is, in this book, and this book is, a, is our only ultimate and infallible authority on all matters related to faith, that is the things that we believe, and practice, that is what we do. But it's these things that are written down. When Paul was writing to Timothy, this idea of all Scripture most likely included only the Old Testament. It was the Old Testament that they had. That was the Bible that they had at the time. There would have been some other copies of things here and there. But when he says all scripture, he means means the Old Testament is inspired by God. As we look at the Old Testament, we can see that that it confirms that as well. Just think think about one Psalm 119. Psalm 119, 176 verses long. And in those 176 verses, there's 178 references to the word of God using 10 different synonyms. This one chapter is all about God's book. When we look at the New Testament, the phrase, it is written, is used in over 90 times. However, when we talk about scripture, we mean the New Testament as well. You see, the New Testament itself, there are are places in the New Testament where the word scripture is used to refer to New Testament writings. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 16. Peter uses this word to, de- to, to describe Paul's writings. And, and, and flip back just a couple of pages to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy 3, 14. Here's Peter, excuse me, here's Paul writing to Timothy. 1 Timothy three 14. I'm writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long. But in case I am delayed, I write so that you may know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. That's a great verse about the church itself, the pillar and the support of the truth. But notice what what Paul's doing. Paul's saying, I'm writing this to you so that you can know how to behave in the church. Paul is, is claiming to have authority in his writings to instruct the church. That's authoritative. In other places we see Paul commending the Thessalonians who had received his teachings not as the word of men but as it is the word of God. Even in Acts 17, uh, the Bereans, you remember the Bereans, they were praised because they were examining the scriptures daily to see whether the apostles' teachings were accurate or not. Even the apostles' oral teachings were subject to the authority of scripture. You see, this book is our only ultimate authority. And notice where that authority comes from. Look at verse 16 again. All scripture is inspired by God. You've heard sermons on this before. I know that that this word means God breathed. It's not merely that that all scripture is inspiring, right? It's not that we read it and we feel good, like we've read uh, the Reader's Digest or Chicken Soup for the Soul. But rather, it's not that it's inspiring to us, but the book itself, innate in it, it has a characteristic of being inspired. God breathed. Turn over to 2 Peter chapter 1, 2 Peter chapter 1, an important passage of scripture as it relates to the authority of scripture. Notice what it says in 2 Peter chapter 1. Back it up to verse 17, 2 Peter 1:17. for when he received honor and glory from God the Father... Such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Peter here speaking of of Jesus and and, and the transfiguration. He says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. We saw this. We heard this. Verse 18. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. But notice what he says in verse 19. And so we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. What is that prophetic word? Verse 20. But know this first of all that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. What Peter's saying is is this book is even more sure than the glory we saw in transfiguration or the voice we heard from heaven. The authority of scripture is a branch from the truth of the inspiration of scripture. Scripture. He says all scripture is inspired by God. And we saw in Second Peter that, that the Holy Ghost moved men to write. And so we understand that, that this book is put together as a unified whole, as a communication to us of who God is and how we can be made right with him. And the authority of Scripture is derived from the author of Scripture. Because God is its author, it innately has authority. This collection of books that make up the Bible is also called the canon. Not canon with two ends like a big gun, but canon with one end like a rule or a ruler or a yardstick. That is is, as it's a canon, as it is the rule or the ruler, it is the truth by which we measure all other truth. Now what does that have to do with us? Well, a few things. First of all, from a worldview perspective, you and I need to hold on to Scripture as our ultimate authority. We need to understand that, that what someone else says, or what we feel, or what we're experiencing, or our circumstances, or, or anything else that we might look to, all those things must be subjugated to the things that we read in the Bible. That is we don't interpret this book based on those other things but rather we interpret those other things based on this book you see it is it is authoritative it is what speaks an authoritative truthful word over our circumstances over the other things we might think or feel You see, it speaks to all matters of faith and practice. The things that we do, the things we believe, faith, the things that we do, practice. This is probably silly, but but sometimes I'll do this in my quiet times. I'll I'll sit before the Lord, and I'll take this book, and I'll just kind of raise it over my head. It's kind of a physical way of saying, Lord, in this moment, I understand that this book has authority over me. And if there's anything that I'm believing that is different than what's in this book, please show me. And if there's anything in my life that is contrary to the teachings of this book, please show me because I understand that it has authority over me and I, I am to submit to it. That's where we are. That's where it would to be. In the 16th century, there were those who, who were taking other things, church tradition, other things and, and, and pulling them up alongside of scripture and saying they're both authoritative and the bible itself teaches differently secondly not only authoritative but secondly sufficient scripture alone is sufficient for all matters of faith and practice scripture alone is sufficient for all matters of faith and practice notice what paul told timothy again in verse 15 And that from the childhood, you've known the sacred scriptures, which are able to give you wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. You see, the Bible itself, scripture alone is sufficient for all matters of faith and practice. It is sufficient. It has what it needs to have in it to lead us to salvation in Christ. Jude Jude verse 3 says for us to contend earnestly for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. 2 Peter 1.3 says seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Scripture alone is sufficient both for our salvation and also for our sanctification. You see this book has in it what we need to get to heaven. This book has in it what we need to be made right with God. This book contains in it the teachings for our salvation and for our sanctification. Notice as, as Paul goes on in verse 16, all scriptures inspired by God and profitable for, and then he lists these descriptions for teaching you see, the Bible here is our source for sound doctrine. It's there, it's, it's useful for instructing us on all things related to God and godliness. It's useful for teaching, but it's also useful for reproof. Either for doctrinal reproof, that is, what am I believing that's wrong that I need to bring in line with what your word teaches? But also for pointing out errors of personal sin, convicting us of personal sin. So whether this reproof is uh, is reproving us, convincing us, showing us, or whether we're wrong in what we we believe or wrong in what we do, the Bible is good for both. Then it says for correction. For correction. You See, this this is kind of the fixing side of reproof. Reproof is where you've gone wrong. Correction is how to get back right. The Bible is good for that as well. One commentator said it's good for restoring one's doctrine or personal practice to a right state before God. He goes on to say, for training in righteousness. This idea of training is is a systematic process of instilling righteousness into us. God's word is good to allow us to go through a systematic process of instilling righteousness in us as a consistent practice. God's word is good for that. Listen to the Baptist Confession of Faith in 1689. Listen to what it was said there. The whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for his own glory, man's salvation, faith and life is either expressly set down or necessarily contained in the Holy Scripture to which nothing is to be added at any time either by new revelation of the Spirit or by traditions of men. Paul goes on to summarize that purpose. Notice what he says in verse 17: that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Now, the word "adequate" today doesn't convey the same connotation as it as it did in the original language. You see, if, if, if you were to, if someone were to come up to you and ask you, you know, uh, you know, you just got married, right? You've been married a month or so. Someone asks you, "How's it going?" How are things with you and your wife? Uh, you know, how's your wife doing? And you want to say, she's adequate. You wouldn't get a very good Father's Day gift the next, uh, the next time Father's Day came around, right? It, adequate, here adequate here means fitted and conditioned for the right purpose. It carries the idea of, of being of being uh, um, uh, well conditioned, ready and prepared for the task ahead, you're well conditioned and practiced and ready for the conflict. That's what adequate here it means. It means up to the challenge. God's word does that for us. He says, ready, adequate, equipped for every good work. Equipped here means completely furnished for the task at hand. You've got everything you need. I'm not a very good um, uh, handyman or do-it-yourselfer, um, but uh, but I can watch YouTube videos and I can go to Home Depot um, and then I can try to, to do stuff like that. And so sometimes I'll do that, right? So uh, uh, washing machine is broken. All right, what do we need to do to fix that? So you YouTube washing machine broken, right? And so videos pop up. Oh, this is what I'm. This is my problem. All right, this is how to fix it. So you go down to Home Depot, right? And so you talk to the guy, this is what's wrong, this is what I think I need, how can you help me? Sometimes the guy at Home Depot is like, I know exactly what you need, here's what you need. You buy it, you go home, you plug it in, it works, right? In that case, Home Depot was sufficient for my needs. And other times, you go to Home Depot and it's like, oh, we don't have that part you got to go down to the appliance place. In that case, Home Depot is not sufficient for your needs. You see, here, Scripture, God's Word, contains all that we need for salvation and for sanctification. It's sufficient for that. It's not lacking anything. Think about the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Remember the story of the rich man and Lazarus? Uh, uh, The rich man died, went to hell. And while he was in hell, he begged, he begged that someone from there would be sent back to his brothers. So they might hear and believe and not come to this place. And what what did Abraham tell him? What, what, what What was the words that he heard? He said this, he said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them believe them. The rich man protested and he says, no, no, but if someone were to come back from the dead, then they would believe him. Jesus in the the parable said, no. If they won't believe Moses and the prophets, then they won't believe even if someone came back from the dead. See, a, a great parable, a great story that teaches us the Bible Is enough for salvation. Thirdly, lastly, the Bible's clear. It's clear. Scripture alone is sufficiently clear for faith and practice. Now, I'm not saying that all passages are equally easy to understand, but I am arguing that the primary tenets of the faith are easily discernible even for the simplest reader. Now, this principle is called, it's called the, the perpiscuity of Scripture, right? Scripture alone is sufficiently clear for faith and for practice. And so this is called the, the perpiscuity of Scripture. Big fancy word. In fact, it's a fancy word that's not very clear, right? <laughs> that means that the Bible is clear and easy to understand. I, I like saying it this way. I, I read this and it makes a lot more sense to me. And it's this the main things are the plain things and the plain things are the main things. That makes a lot more sense to me. That the God has has put his word together in such a way that even the simplest seeker can understand the main idea of what's going on in scripture. He's made it sufficiently clear Getting back to, to, to 2 Timothy chapter three, listen to what Paul reminded Timothy of. You, however, verse 14, continue in the things that you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them. Well, who did he learn them from? Well, chapter one, verse five, says that he learned them from his mother, Eunice, and his grandmother, Lois. He says, verse 15, and that from childhood, You've known the sacred writings. Hebrew families began at at the age of five to formally instruct their children in the scriptures. And here we see Timothy, at an early age of a child, was able to understand the scriptures. Even as a child, those scriptures are sufficiently clear. Listen to what Deuteronomy chapter 30 says. For this is the commandment that I command you today and it is not too hard for you. Neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over to the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, for we are not writing anything to you other than what we have read and acknowledged, and I hope that you will fully acknowledge, just as you did, acknowledging us that the day of the Lord is near. We're not writing anything to you uh, other than what you've read and acknowledged. That they're not hard, they're not difficult ideas. Philippians 3 says, all of us who are mature should take view of such things, and if on some point you think differently, then too God will make clear to you Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Paul, writing to the Philippians, says, God will make clear to you the things that you're not sure about. Just live up to those things that you have learned already. Jesus, throughout his ministry, regularly and constantly called children to him. It's one of the ideas of uh, that was fought against in the Reformation was this idea that that the simple man could not understand the things of Scripture. But that's not so. The Bible is sufficiently clear. Isn't it good that God has chosen to reveal himself in a way that a six-year-old can hear his word, understand it, believe it, turn to Christ in vacation Bible school, and then yet still spend the next 96 years of his life delving into the, dips, the depths and the mysteries of God in Christ and still not yet come to the end of the knowable. I told you I grew up in a, in a, in a small church, and, and uh, as most churches, it had a baptistry, and, and on either end of the baptistry, there was a changing room, right? And I can remember as a young child, climbing those little steps up to the changing room because that's where we had our Sunday school class. Elementary Sunday school class was in that left side changing room of the baptistry. And there was a little old lady. Her name was Lila Hall. And she would take us third and fourth and fifth graders. And she would sit us down and she would teach us what the Bible had to say. Lila Hall was my spiritual Eunice and Lois and Lois. She was my spiritual grandmother who taught me those scriptures, who taught me what it meant to need God and to be a sinner and that Christ died for my sins. And part of what we're saying tonight is the Bible is sufficiently clear that even the simplest can understand it. As we we close... Again, sola scriptura doesn't mean that there's no place for pastors or teachers to teach us God's word. We do need that. God gives gifts to certain members of the body and, 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 and it's just that we have to take those teachings and compare them to the whole of scripture and to submit them to the whole counsel of God. Also, it doesn't mean that there's no place for church tradition or other writings. The writings of C.S. Lewis and, and John Piper and John R.W. Stott and many others have been very beneficial to me in my own personal spiritual walk but we must not elevate them to the place of Scripture. But what soul Scripture does mean is that the Bible is authoritative. So as we close tonight, let us bring our thoughts and actions in submission to its teachings, but still be free from legalistic bondage of extra-biblical rules. It does mean that the Bible is sufficient. And so let us feast on its nourishment and then occasionally taste the writings of others rather than the other way around and then lastly the Bible is clear and so let us seek to know what is knowable would you pray with me Father thank you for your word God you did not have to be a God who revealed yourself to your creatures but in your grace and your condescension you did God, and you were abundantly grateful, God, to do it in such a way, God, that you, that you spoke it yourself, gave it authority. that you did it so fully, God, that, that Genesis through Revelation is sufficient, God, for us in our salvation and our sanctification. God, in your abundant, abundant grace, God, you've made it sufficiently clear that anybody can understand it. Lord, may, may we not take this word for granted. May we submit to it. God, may we seek out its sufficiency. God, may we relish in its clarity. In Jesus' name, amen.